You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. So usually by now, this is the moment where I'm talking about pod seats and tray tables and their full and upright locked position and so on. But I have a story to tell instead. So kind of set the scene here. It's, it's 1993. I am a freshman in high school. And uh, I have gone to the local library in search of the sixth volume of the ElfQuest series because I have just finished reading volumes one, two, three, four, five for probably the 10th or 12th time, having begun the series uh, years before. And I am deeply frustrated by the fact that this, this fucking book is still checked out. It, like it's, it's incredibly frustrating because I've been trying to get, they've got volume seven. It's just sitting there. Right. But volume six as well. It's just like, it, it can, it is not to be found. And around this same time, um, I was dating a guy who uh, had a bunch of friends. We were all at the same lunch table. And I, I remember going to the lunch table the next day and grousing that somebody in the library still had out this book that I had been requesting and requesting and requesting. And they had been sending messages and sending messages and sending messages to whoever had it. And they were starting to get ready to charge this person money for the book that they had never returned. And this guy sitting at my lunch table is listening to the story really thoughtfully. And he reaches into his backpack and he pulls out volume seven of ElfQuest and he lays that it on the sense. table. Uh, volume six of ElfQuest, he lays it on the table and it's got the Fountaindale library tag on it and everything. And he pushes it towards me and he says, I'm really sorry. I just didn't want to let it go. (laughs) (laughs) This is part of the story of how I met the artist known to listeners of the podcast now as the Husbeast. And so not too long after that, we were dating. And as part of dating, we would write each other notes. And when we wrote each other notes, we would draw this little diamond-shaped symbol on the outside before we would hand them to one another. Uh And now there are people listening to the podcast who know exactly what I'm talking about. And now there are people listening who might not know. But to catch everybody up here, our guests for this week are people who I am frankly trembling to talk to. We have Wendy and Richard Peeney, who are the creators, the publishers, uh, the hive mind that brought into the world the ElfQuest series of comics. And they've been around doing this work for about 40 years now, but now it's sort of reached this entirely wonderfully new incarnation with the ElfQuest audio movie. So I'm thinking a lot about that note sending habit that I had with the, the gentleman who is now my husband, because uh, I'm looking at your your web page for the ElfQuest audio movie where we have Cutter sending and the mark is right there. And I remember writing on literally hundreds of notes, mercifully, none of which were confiscated by teachers because it would have been embarrassing. And we made our names for ourselves. It was a lot. So Wendy, Richard, welcome. I've made you incredibly uncomfortable, I'm sure. Oh, um, not in the least. Not uh, a chance. You have to work a lot harder than that. Oh yeah, and that okay. was a really, really cute story. I think that's our favorite people meeting because of ElfQuest story ever. <laughs> oh well, so that's well, that's I. I'm not going to be able to talk for the rest of the podcast. Congratulations, <laughs> you're in charge, Patrick. And just I've been rendered speechless. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, so ElfQuest has existed as a graphic novel and comics phenomenon for a long time. But what brought about for you the inspiration or the desire to to move it into the podcast format of the audio movie? Because this is this is new for you. This is exciting. Its name is Fred. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, Fred Greenhalgh is the, the 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 inspiration and the director of the ElfQuest audio movie. And a few words of backstory: in 1981, Listening Library brought out a reading of the first ElfQuest novel, and it was a simple reading nice. of the words in the book. And I've had those tapes now for over. 30 years and I thought I really should do wow. something with them. It's it's the digital age. I should put them in online as MP3s or something. And yeah. I talked to some people and one of them pointed me to this fellow Fred and we got on the phone. I thought it was going to be a five minute conversation. Just how do I digitize and where do I put the stuff? And two hours later, we were still squeeing at each other <laughs> because... Fred said, well, I, you can digitize it, but I have this other idea. And he proceeded to just wax absolutely eloquent about mm -hmm. what an audio movie is and what it could be for ElfQuest. And we just have been sucked into that vortex and loving the ride ever since. We loved the term audio movie because basically – it's like listening to the soundtrack of a very big movie with a big cast, a beautiful uh, original score, mm -hmm. uh, top quality, uh, you know, recording, uh, everything. You know how sometimes you'll put Star Wars on while you're doing something else and you just listen to the soundtrack? It's, yeah. it, it's like that. And uh, very, very exciting proposition when Richard uh, told me about his uh, call with Fred and it proceeded from there. The, the point of such a thing is, as Fred has said, you put on the headphones or you, 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 you uh, ramp up your good speakers and you put this episode on, there are 10 episodes, and mm -hmm. you close your eyes and the movie plays itself on the screen inside your head. Yes. And you see it and you hear it and it's real. And we've been doing this now, what is it, 2022? We've been doing this almost 45 years. Mm -hmm. And this is a completely new and exciting and mind-blowing experience for us. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. we, we always tried to make ElfQuest a very cinematic experience, even as a graphic novel. And the artwork has a strong animated quality. And we like to think, and over the years, readers have told us that they, they could sort of hear it as well as, as read it, that they could feel how the forest feels. And um, mm -hmm. so ElfQuest, is a, as a graphic novel, is a, a sensual experience. <laughs> but the audio takes it even that much farther. So I, I I have so much I want to say, having listened to the audio movie and mm. um, kind of you know yeah. immersed myself in it in the way you describe. But did, did you ahead, close yeah. your eyes when you were listening to it? Did um, you close your eyes? There were a couple moments. So I guess I did it wrong mostly with my eyes. Well, I mean, you told me you listened in the car, so I was just yeah. I mean, like I, I, I listened to it once. Uh, one episode I listened to lying on my bed. And so there mm, were okay. some eye closing mm, things happen okay. there. And okay. another one, I was on an elliptical. So okay. I was, there was blinking. Um, okay. So that's like, that's like partial eye closing. <laughs> <thing>. um, 
<laughs> but yeah, I think we, I would probably not be recording this at present if I was like, nope, gotta listen to audio movie while driving home. Close on peepers. Let's get on 88 West <laughs> and just see what happens. But it, it, one of the interesting experiences, I think, and I, I think lots of people who are familiar with comics and who have loved them and have seen their comics move to different sorts of uh, media forms can can echo this. I mean, it's it's a very different thing, of course, to move a, a, a comic to a movie because, of course, the visual element is still present there. But we've had people commentating for decades now over how DC or Marvel and the other sort of major players in the comics world move their comics. Have, and I believe both of those have published ElfQuest throughout the years. Yeah, at different yeah, times. This is, this yeah. is true. Under license mm-hmm. for either reprint or reprint and new material, we have been published by yeah. the big three, Marvel, DC, and Dark Horse, we're currently Horse. with. So uh, we love our partners. Yeah, and, and it's still fundamentally, it's independently published. You know, it's still fundamentally Absolutely. an independent enterprise, mm-hmm. uh, yes. which makes it really a kind of unique, scrappy, beloved kind of survivor <laughs> of the, the frankly <laughs> difficult trenches of the creative world of comics. Like it's it's a it's a, a world that not a lot of creators find a way to get a footing in and to thrive in in the way their work deserves. That that is very well put, and an understatement in describing it as the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at the Mariana Trench. Like it's really yeah. deep down there. <laughs> They're really yes. getting in there. There you go. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. When we started, nobody told us that we couldn't, and so we just right. did, and we are still well pe- doing. Pe- people told us we were idiots. When well, yeah, we started, but- I mean, you know, they said, you know, they said we were very foolish and, and, uh, you know, that, that nothing like this had ever been done before, but, but we just, we yeah. didn't listen, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that, that just means you're going to succeed if, if tons of people are telling you this is foolish and it's never going to work and it's never been done before. It, it tends to be hands. a, it tends to be a sign, you know, if a lot of people, yeah. Well, not only a sign, but a challenge because, you know, mm. tell me, tell me I can't have those cookies on top of the refrigerator. <laughs> go ahead. Oh. Go ahead. See what happens. I, I will find a way <laughs> to get it. find up. a way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> since, I, since I was a very young girl, you, you just couldn't tell me no. I, I don't, I, I have no explanation for it. I just, just no did not, not exist in my mental vocabulary. So I, I want to pause for one quick sec to kind of put the narrative of of ElfQuest, the narrative world of it, I should say, into perspective here, because there's always there's always going to be a certain number of people who are new. And so the yes. ElfQuest is set in what's called the world of two moons, aptly named because there are, in fact, there's the, there's the, the mother and the child moon. Uh, and the world of mo- two moons has humans in it, but did not always have elves in it. And the mm-hmm. elves many, many uncounted thousands and tens of thousands of years ago, arrived by sort of magical happenstance in this world populated by humans in essentially a kind of Neolithic age. And mm-hmm. having arrived uh, in this primitive world as these kind of elevated, magical, erudite, elegant beings, they're just entirely unprepared for the sort of violence of their reception and the desperation of survival that's going to follow. And the story itself picks up many tens of thousands of years later 
with the the successive generations of elves and how have they changed to survive in a world at war with humans, in uneasy alliance with trolls who are themselves part of that sort of uh, cosmic transplant group. And eventually the discovery that these isolated tribes of elves who have been so caught up in their own narratives of survival for so long have forgotten one another and have lost Mm -hmm. touch with one another as survivors. And over the course of this, you know, vast and still growing, there are still new elf quest stories being told over the course of this sort of vast saga, new elf groups discover each other, new tribes Mm -hmm. encounter one another and discover between and among themselves, their own, their own differences and clashes and mysteries and sort of ancestral arguments and it is going back to the the earlier statement about no one telling you no. I can't think of any other situation as a young reader, because I was about 12 when my mom handed me ElfQuest, having recently mm-hmm. gone to a book club. And she handed it to me and she said, read this. You're going to love it. <laughs> and I started, I started flipping through it and I, I landed about halfway through. And this is the this this is not great radio, but I'm doing this for Wendy and Richard. So deal, people. <laughs> This is the actual one that she gave me. So this is like really old cover. Like you haven't made an ElfQuest styled like this in a long time. And so she she gave me that version of it. And I flipped through and I saw lots of naked elves. And I was like, mom, (laughs) naked, sexy elf things happening here. And she's like, I know I read it already. (laughs) we officially love your mother yes you had a super (laughs) mom i loved her too she was she was a good egg and And i must i must also praise your uh your incredibly succinct description of the epic you know from from the beginnings till now that a few people have codified it as well as you just did well, I think, I mean, it's really hard to, to, to kind of hold it back and not spoil everything. Like, go back and, and fighters and, and there's wolves, there's wolves everywhere. And it's, what she, it's so hard. What she said, what she said for anybody who's listening and worried about spoilers, <laughs> what she said is just the beginning. Yes. So, yeah. you know, you start yeah. there and you take mm-hmm. the whole ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I I guess on the subject of the ride, right, Mm -hmm. you've had 40 years to develop this world, 40 plus, in fact, uh, to develop this world, and you're still sort of moving forward with it. Mm -hmm. Has making the audio movie changed the way you're thinking about how to keep building the story of this world? Has it done anything to kind of tweak Mm -hmm. that creative inspiration? Good question. Well, my my job... My job on the audio movie was as a kind of story editor. Uh, Fred had uh, several writers break down the the comics and the first novelized version, Journey to Sorrow's End, to derive material for the scripts for all 10 episodes of the first season. And uh, all of these were run by me uh, so that I could check them to make sure that all of the characters' voices were correct. I had to watch out for things like them having the characters say, okay. Yeah. What is the the idiom of the world of two moons? Exactly. Instead of saying, all right, they had them say, okay, no, you can't use okay. You know, Mm -hmm. things that, things that pull you out of the fantasy because they're too contemporary. I had to watch for. Yeah. And uh, there were new scenes. We added some new scenes that never appeared in the comics or the novelization, but were quite necessary to, to sort of flesh out, 
some of the characters and uh, bridging material. It was mm -hmm. tremendous fun. And the reason I'm telling you all this is that it was all ElfQuest. It was, it was all working with ElfQuest as it had always been worked with. I, I don't think at this point, at least my storytelling thinking has been altered by the audio movie. It, uh, we are certainly hoping for a second season and mm -hmm. we will approach it uh, very much the same way we did the first season, which is to, to uh, keep the characters' voices true. And uh, if there are new scenes, that they will just blend s seamlessly with what our existing fandom and hopefully the new fandom will we will acquire knows of the, the story. The audio movie is in the middle or a little slightly past half, halfway with season one. And yeah. everybody connected with this, the producer, the director, the voice actors, we are hoping for a season two. People are saying, we want you to do all of ElfQuest in mm -hmm. audio movie format. That means mm -hmm. something right. like 60 or 70 seasons by the time <laughs> we're going to yeah. out. Last mash and gun smoke and, right, and yeah. whatever else. Those dumb shows but, nobody talks about. Yeah. yeah um, but Doctor Who Doctor Who is still gonna be out there. So I'm just saying. Well, you know, we're, just saying. We're, we're, we're happy to be in they'll Doctor Who company. There'll probably be a crossover at some point. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. The Palace of the High One is a TARDIS, of course. It's 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 a natural. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In terms we'll of the, the the basics of storytelling. ElfQuest was born 40-something years ago. It was Wendy's germ of an idea, and she told me, and we have developed it. It's a very collaborative process, and that is not changing in terms of new comics series or new graphic novel series that we might want to consider putting out. But the experience of, the, of being a part of the production of the audio movie, I think for me it has given me a greater appreciation for just how words sound on a page. They were always kind of musical, mm -hmm. but maybe, you know, turn that one up to 11 now. Well, I think the reason ElfQuest works theatrically is that as I write, because Richard and I co-plot the stories, we talk them through thoroughly, and then my, my job is to write the script. I always say the lines out loud. I always speak all the dialogue out loud to make sure that yeah. it flows and sounds natural. We, we decided we weren't going to go in the direction of the 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 and thou or or some of the more traditional yeah. traditional fantasy tropes. We decided to keep the language of ElfQuest more or less contemporary, but also poetic. Mm -hmm. And. And yeah. what I love is that is coming across in the audio movie. I, I love the way Cree Summer devours her lines as Sava. She just, you know, <laughs> she she has so become that character and uh, and is telling the story with just such delicious excitement and involvement. And she she says the words the way they were written, the way they were intended mm -hmm. with music and poetry. Because mm -hmm. these are elves, and, and as someone said earlier, they are elevated beings. The vibration's a little higher. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing about reading the lines out loud, I love. Mm. Because 
when when I was deep into critique groups and I was going, you know, twice a month and then and I'm doing a different groups, I'm talking to different writers, there would be people who would be struggling and, mm. and they're struggling with dialogue particularly. And mm. I would always tell them to read their stuff out loud. Just just stand there and read it out loud. Like Bravo. go in a bedroom, do whatever you have to do, just read it out loud. Because once you read it, then you hear that it doesn't sound right. Yes. You yes. hear that it's not. Oh, yes. And you can also tell that you've you've given a line to someone that belongs to somebody else. Yes, indeed. It's, it's, it's like fingerprints. Mm-hmm. No two yep. characters have the same lilt, the same cant, the same rhythm. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking things out loud is just a joy to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think with respect to um, how that manifests in, in, in the audio movie, having mm-hmm. listened to it, um, there is a large cast of characters. Yes. You know, that the, the elf quest, uh, although the, the wolf riders are not a large tribe, it is for a audio format, a large cast. Yes. And so you're dealing with in any given episode, anywhere from like 10 to 15 speaking parts of various size. And because there are a lot of there, there are a lot of characters who are being played by really gifted actors that I do not know. One of the things that I thought about early on was, am I going to be able to distinguish in a a context without the visual cue or without dialogue tags when it's tree stump talking and when it's one eye talking or Mm -hmm. when it's, you know, pike talking versus when it's skywise talking. And after the, the point of the first episode, acquainting you with your voices, the voices themselves, the delivery rarely felt that different to me. It was literally the words that they're saying. It didn't even come down to a matter of recall from the original script of like, oh, no, I remember this is a bit where, where Pike makes a Dreamberries joke or whatever. <laughs> but just in, in, the sense, in the sense of it being, these are the words that I am accustomed to hearing from Tree Stomp. This is a Tree Stomp kind of thing to say. What an, wow. an excellent observation. Yeah. And so it's, you know, and that, that I think resonated with me on a couple of levels. One is... Um, Listeners who, who listen frequently are aware of the fact that my brother is blind. And mm. because he's blind, his he, he ingests sort of the stories of his world through audio. And so mm. when my own books were published, it was very important to me to make sure they came out in audiobook. One, because I, I actually read primarily through audiobook just because I have a hellaciously long commute. And it's a good way to make sure I'm still reading. But I wanted to make sure that he would be able to to read my books. And so I wanted them to be in audio. And so then I had this like 130,000 word manuscript where I'm reading the whole blessed thing out loud in final edits before sending it to recorded books mm-hmm. with a pronunciation key because, because I'm having to think about the exact same things that you were talking about, Wendy. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is an authentic challenge to kind of sit within your characters with that degree of closeness. Well, you just, you just said something that, has given me a little bit more insight. Hmm. For years, people were wondering, what does Skywise sound like? What does Tree Stump sound like? What, you know, and because Tree Stump uses the word I, lad, once in a great while, he had to have a Scottish accent, according to the fans, because that's just the way traditional fantasy works. And we didn't want to have any part of that. Mm -hmm. Well, the actors, all of them that um, our casting director went out and found are so good that Mm -hmm. when I heard this for the first time, I have never imagined what voices reading the comics. I never cared. 
Mm, yeah. Hearing it for the first time, I said, that's them. Mm-hmm. But you just pointed out that it's not just the voices, it's the words being spoken by yes. that voices that can only come from this character or that character. And that makes it even better for me. Yes, so they, thank you. They, <laughs> it's wonderful. They, they do all have a manner of speaking um, and it depends on their personalities. Uh, yeah. yeah. Some characters are more reticent, less, less verbose. Others yeah. are chatty and, uh, the, uh, again, I, I have to praise to the heavens the the casting of these characters, yeah. which was was very very carefully done. Uh, we were involved. They got Robert Picardo. They got Robert Picardo to do stuff. It's a perfectly wonderful fit for Picknose, and my I I only repent that. Picknos doesn't get more lines because oh, of where well, the story is headed. If, you see, if yeah, yeah. A, I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, if there's a season two, he's going to get some wonderful things to do. But you see, the whole idea of Picknos, and we discussed it beforehand. It was that the trolls have their own culture, their own way of doing things, and their own sense of dignity. That you know. Very often in fantasy, trolls are portrayed as these crude, uncouth, totally gross kinds of creatures. But our trolls have their own society, their own way of doing things. You know, they're they're pretty mercenary and pretty materialistic. But that being said, they they are portrayed, especially in the audio movie, as easily the elves' equals in their own sense of hey, you know, we have our rights. We, mm. You know, you can't just come in and push us around. And <laughs> They have a civilization that is fully as old and as developed, just in a very different direction, as the elves. Yes. So why wouldn't they have their own sense of nobility, entitlement, mm-hmm. whatever else? Yeah. And yeah. as Wendy said... It's very easy to make trolls either lumpish and crude or lumpish and, and sort of slapstick. And therefore making them yeah. the automatic bad guys. Yeah. But our trolls mm-hmm. are not the bad guys. They're just, you know, you got to deal with them. They're just guys. <laughs> They're guys. They're just guys. <laughs> yeah. Poor green. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm stuck on Robert Picardo because uh, if, <laughs> if I ever met him in person, if I ever met him in person, he would he would give me a Patrick Louise because I would go, please state the nature of the medical emergency. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Patrick Louise. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying, you know. So much trouble. Yeah. So, so oh. I have a I have a, a question to ask that Mm. you can tap out on this one if you want to, but I I can't help but be curious. And this actually goes way back to, you probably remember the book, The Big ElfQuest Gatherum, which I made a point of saving my my nickels and dimes for and buying a copy of as soon as I was able to back in the day. And Mm. The Big ElfQuest Gatherum, for, for folks who don't know what I'm talking about here, is a book of supplementary materials about ElfQuest. It's essays written by uh, the Peenies or by people associated with their work. It's sort of background art and line sketches and concept drawings and um you know, some some letters back and forth between the Peenies and various collaborators. And it's it's one of those behind the scenes sort of texts that fandom mm-hmm. loves. 
And in the ElfQuest Gatherum, there is, in one of the interviews, I believe, there's this brief conversation where both of you talk about identifying with certain characters on a more personal level and sort of feeling like this is this is your character and you sort of actualize yourself through them or they've got more of you in them than others. And because of your background as an astronomer, uh, Richard, yours, you, Richard, yours was Skywise. And mm-hmm. because of your background as a generally ferocious woman who cannot be told no, <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, you, you identified with Cutter, who is yes. our, our primary protagonist and the chief of the Wolf Riders. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering... <laughs> The story's gone on long enough now that we have many generations of characters that we've gotten to know. And I'm sort of wondering in the newer generations, can you put your finger on some of the characters who we haven't hit them yet in the audio verse yet, but people who have followed the comics uh, might know them. Are there, are there newer generation folks where you can say, oh, here's me. This is, this is me 2.0 in the text. Well, interesting. Uh, for now for me, um, we have a character uh, named Mender, who is uh, a male healer. Lita is our, is our female healer. But Mender comes along later. He is uh, the son of Woodlock and Rainsong. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tends to be a character that I identify with a lot. Uh, he is, <laughs> even though he's a healer, he's very aggressive, and he will just kick your butt. If, if he thinks you've gotten out of line. And uh, he's also both male and female. He, he is a shapeshifter. And he mm-hmm. can definitely go in a, into feminine mode if he wants. And his life mate is Dart. Mm-hmm. So, so we have two uh, presenting male elves who are living together as life mates now. But Mender can shift. And so Dark gets the best of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, I mean, it is really a very queer friendly, polyamorous yes. friendly, sexually yes. friendly kind of mm-hmm. comic series without being in any way salacious. No, no. Um, and this has to do with our attitude, which w- which was there from the very beginning that we wanted to we wanted to think about a society of beings who were different from most humans in the sense that because they are telepathic, because they are extremely long-lived, because they are are, uh, energy manipulators, uh, and you can call that magic if you want, but everything they do is a form of telekinesis. Well, these are just very high-vibe beings, and you can't imagine them living according to old-fashioned taboos and restrictions based on fear that human beings live. You know, mortal human beings who know they're going to die always come up with these rules based on fear, but the elves don't have the same fears that humans have. one One of the things we love to tell people when they come up to us, whether it's one-on-one at a convention or if we're doing a panel at some show, is uh, we get questions that, well, why do they do this? Why do they think that? Why do they behave this other way? And we, we stress it. We tell them, you have to get out of your own head. We live for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Try to imagine 
living for a thousand years. We're so conscious of time. We're so Mm -hmm. conscious of mortality that, as Wendy said, Mm -hmm. we've come up with all of these structures to try to deal with that. Now, imagine Mm -hmm. if you didn't have that. Imagine Mm -hmm. if you could talk to each other telepathically Mm -hmm. and imagine the honesty that that would afford and even demand. And the absence of jealousy as a result. How can you be jealous when you can... When you can know. Know exactly what your lover thinks. Yeah. So it has has been a 40-plus year journey for us because we're stuck in these meat bodies that, you know, (laughs) are are prey to all of the ills that we all are um, to to just make that last little leap of logic or faith or imagination and do it different. Wendy is very good at taking tropes, particularly fantasy tropes, and saying, I'm going to turn this one right on its side and do it unexpectedly. And None of that uh, that, staid Tolkien elven nobility thing. (laughs) Right. Uh, Our our elves are four feet tall. They ride wolves and they have sex in the trees. You know, it's, it's, uh, you won't find any of that in Tolkien. Not even on Amazon. It's good times. It's uh, like in Vermont, we're cooler. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we've gone on a really interesting tangent here, but I feel like we're dangerously close to letting Richard off the hook of talking about with whom he might identify. I was was keeping that. Um, oh, all right, all right. See, Skywise really became my ElfQuest avatar because mm-hmm. this is not well known. It's not a secret, but um, in the very beginning, uh, inside of, I think, the first eight or nine or ten issues of the mm-hmm. very original quest, Skyways was going to die, and it was going to be a very noble death. He was going to die saving Cutter, and there was going to be this amazing hurt comfort scene with yeah. Cutter cradling Skywise's dying body. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when, you know, he would not have looked up at the sky and screamed, no, but it was close. <laughs> and... We were just getting into the idea of ElfQuest, and and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, he's the tribe's astronomer and you're killing him? Now, see, <laughs> I have loved astronomy since I was three years old. I graduated astronomy uh, bachelor's from MIT. It has always like, Honey, been- Honey, do we need to talk about something? What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, like, is there, we need is there to a- have some words here. Need to have a close sending? No. <laughs> so, so- Ever since then, I have felt a very, very close kinship to that character, possibly to the point where even though there are other characters that I can identify with in certain situations, Skywise is my guy. You know who I was going to guess? Ride or die for Skywise. Who are you going to guess? I was going to guess Skywise's daughter, Jink. Who might might be someone you'd identify with? 
Well, now I'm going to have to think about that one because because Jink undergoes Jink undergoes somewhat of an evolution because there's the Jink of of Stargazer's Hunt. There's the Jink of Future Quest. They're the mm-hmm. same character. She is incredibly long lived, um, and that may be a possibility. Let me get back on that one. Well, it's okay. just. All right. Of all our characters, she is the most free, and that's that's something that well, that's something to think about. Yeah. Skywise, yeah, we can book another appearance when you've made that call. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do that. We will do all that. Right. But Skywise has had a lot of evolving to do, just as Skywise, and mm-hmm. I feel the same. Yeah, about the evolution of my life from the, the, from the person I was at 28 when ElfQuest started to the person I'm now at when we're talking, numbers, mumble, they're mumble. just numbers. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'm going to stick to Skywise. Mm. He's, he's right. still learning and I'm still learning and it feels good to do. Mm. But I, I feel like Tracy, Tracy scratched uh, the surface on something here. Whenever Wendy comes mm. up with a story where Skywise was in danger, did you yourself feel nervous? <laughs> Not after that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I didn't ever feel nervous. I think my initial reaction to that initial plot idea was closer to outrage <laughs> rather than <laughs> No, but uh, I will tell you that an awful lot of ElfQuest is autobiographical. And by that I mean we've taken incidents that happen in our own lives or uh, even conversations that we've had. And we have used the fantasy metaphor to, to translate those human earthly experiences into something universal as, as a story. And um, this is why we've never run out of story in 45 years because there's just always something going on that's that's worthwhile talking about we both feel about fantasy that we we don't care for the harry potter type of fantasy where you wave a wand and a dragon or a unicorn appears that that just never appealed to us but the kind of fantasy that we appreciate is is such that it examines the human condition. And you can, you can do so much with fantasy metaphor to talk about what being alive and what, what, what having relationships is all about. Or uh, today more so than almost at any other time since we started, what the story of Cutter and the Wolf Riders is the story of a group of outsiders trying to find their place in the world. Mm. And so prejudice and inclusivity and getting along with your neighbor and treating others as best you can are themes that run throughout the entirety of ElfQuest. And, and just look at the world we're in today. Yeah, I know. He, he just opened a can of worms because <laughs> when we started this... <laughs> <laughs> when we started this thing back in the uh, era of bell bottoms and fringed jackets and uh, hair bands, back, 
by the way. Just gonna, yeah. So are back. Absolutely. The seventies are back. You know, this was uh, Nixon, Vietnam, Woodstock, the whole, the, the elves were born in that cauldron of uh, social unrest. And, um, and and so a lot of my uh, impetus for, for telling the story came from all that I was perceiving around me at the time. Mm-hmm. But what has shocked the heck out of both Richard and me is here we are in 2022 dealing with issues on an even uglier, more, more corrosive level than it was back then in the 70s. I mean, the the level of hate and divisiveness we're seeing now is very similar to what was going on back in the 70s, but it's worse. And it's, it's, it's worse because we have, <laughs> I'm looking into the screen, and this is a digital social media thing, and yeah. everybody now has access to everything, yeah. and including a megaphone for one's own. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, everybody knows what everybody else is doing and has an opinion about it and voices that opinion about it. So that's why whatever we were sort of learning to deal with in the late sixties and Mm seventies now is just splashed right over every screen and every page you can imagine. Um, And, and it's in our face 24 seven. I know Roe versus Wade. Give me a break. Yeah. That was that was decided fifty years ago. Come on. Yep. So and and a lot of times now, a lot of times now, everything you're saying is true. But a lot of times now, when someone does have that platform and they do express their opinion, uh, they express their opinion in such a way as to say, "This is my opinion, and if you don't agree with me, fuck off." Yes. Yeah. Or you're wrong. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. None of it helps. And, And that doesn't help. That is. Maybe they just that, need to start handing handing people copies of Siege at Blue Mountain and be like, read this uh-huh. and stop taking fights you can't win. <laughs> from, from your mouth to the New York Times's ear. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. We, we, this is we we feel like a couple of salmon swimming upstream, trying to keep telling this story, and we're going to keep telling this story because. Mm. It is, as far as we're concerned, the most important. It's so important to be life affirming yeah. instead of life denying or destroying or, or brushing off. We were interviewed. Yeah. We were interviewed by NPR some years ago, and uh, the our interviewer. Uh, put the whole piece together and ended up calling us, uh, calling ElfQuest very earnest. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of like being told you're moist. (laughs) I I imagine that that was well-intended, but it it does sound like they, like they've um, confused your, your objectives with preciousness. (laughs) Yes. It it, it, it felt like a little pat on the head. Yes. And, (laughs) <laughs> but um and, but and, and, and did, you, did, you, did, you, did you reply to them bless your heart <laughs> <laughs> in my mind i did yeah. in my mind Which is kiss but, of death. but if you think about it yeah we are earnest in the sense that that the things we care about 
we still pursue and and still ter- tell stories about because we keep seeing things repeat themselves over and over again uh, over over a period of 45 to 50 years it's shocking how things recycle and yeah. uh, that that is one of the things that keeps elfquest relevant you know the 2022 is elfquest's year with the audio movie coming out uh, it's yeah. It's back in public awareness again in a big way, and uh, we are deeply thankful for that. But also, we understand that it's because the story is still relevant. It doesn't feel yeah. like something that was done in the distant past. Yeah. Well, whew. <laughs> We have, I think, implicitly, you know, we do picks of the week here, but I think we've implicitly recommended ElfQuest in very large capital <laughs> letters to, to the listenership at this point. And it has literally been my pick of the week at, in, on, on different previous occasions. So oh, folks great. know that I would happily underwrite that. But let's, get, let's give the opportunity to our guests here. Pick of the week time, Patrick. Sure. Yeah, mm. let's do it. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Picks of the week. Yeah, Richard, we, we're professional here. We have music and everything. Love wow, very the <laughs> celestial harps and everything. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right, Patrick. Do you want to show them how it's done? Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm doing a. I'm doing a tangent. I'm doing a weird one. Uh, oh, let's do it. Uh, as we're as we're recording this, it's my birthday week, and mm-hmm. uh, so I, actually I was sick, which sucks, but I still ordered my birthday pie. And this year mm-hmm. I got it from uh, Granny Scott's Pies, which is in Lakewood, Colorado. Mm. And uh, it's a nice little hole in the wall place. You can actually go there for breakfast or lunch. Uh, they, they have a little cafe. They do coffees. They do treats. They do fudge, cookies, mm-hmm. uh, sandwiches, anything that you could possibly want. But their main business is pies. And so I got a coconut cream pie. Uh, for my birthday, uh, which I haven't eaten yet, but I will, uh, as of this recording, when it goes live, I will have a, had a slice. Uh, I haven't had a slice yet because I was sick, but coconut cream pie is my favorite. Granny Scott's is where I got one this year. So, well, you, Granny might, you, nice. must, you must put a tag on this interview and tell us how the pie tasted. I will. <laughs> yes. I will. Important updates. Inquiring minds love to know. That's yes. right. Breaking news. <laughs> so, Wendy and Richard, you are you are free to each individually have a pick, to share a pick. You 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 share everything. So I don't I don't know how you want to do your business. Well, we, I think we each have something. Yes, I think we each have. For me, my pick is everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay. This movie is just the feel-good movie of the year, I think, except it comes at you at such a breakneck pace that it shouldn't shouldn't make you feel good at all because you're just trying to keep up with it. But uh, it's, it's an amazing, amazing achievement. The script writing, uh, the direction, everything. I can't say enough about it. And anything with Michelle Yeoh, I mean, come oh, on. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, well, please. What a woman. Um. <laughs> I still remember, I still remember the, uh, uh, when she was in a James Bond movie with Pierce Brosnan, and they were handcuffed together on mm. a motorcycle, fighting people. 
mm. and doing flips and going back and forth and turning and and it's just like holy crap and mm-hmm. then crouching tiger and then just on and on from there yeah oh crouching yeah. tiger oh my god what an amazing thing you just did there patrick hmm. because what if if wendy hadn't said everything everywhere all at once I was going to say that because we watched it and it was it was a complete uh, bulimic cinematic feel good roller coaster ride but she said it. So my pick of the week I think it's on Amazon. It is a documentary that is relatively brand new. It's called The Sound of 007. <laughs> And you mentioned a James Bond film. And now we both are John Barry and music aficionados and soundtrack aficionados in general. And and we both have loved the uh, most of them. Goldfinger Goldfinger was my first dirty movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, So this documentary came on and we were just watching it and the things that we both learned, we thought we knew a lot about mm. the music and John Barry and all this it. stuff. You saw it. I watched it. And yes. Where the James Bond theme came from. How about that? Yeah. Whoa. So yep. that's my pick of the week because I was just buoyant when that thing was over <laughs> with glee. <laughs> all right, how, about, how, about, how about Saltzman going, you can't do that. That's dirty. You can't mm-hmm. sing, you can't have those lyrics. You can't do that. It's dirty. Bring it on. Bring it on. I know. It's just the, the behind the scenes and the turnabouts mm. and the and the yep. uh, it was just refreshing and effervescent and wonderful. Now I want to go back and watch and, all those. And did you notice the one band that they did not mention? The one band. One band that they did not mention. They they showed pictures and they mentioned every single band or artist who did a Bond song except one. You're such a tease about this, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, he is because I'm I'm playing the thing in my mind and I can't remember every one of the little tiles. There was there was one band that was such a problem, and that that did not get along with the with whoever was in charge that year of doing the doing everything. And that's mm. the band that didn't get mentioned, and that blew my mind at first. Like I was, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, they didn't get mentioned." It's Aha. Oh, Aha! That's right. Daylights. It only got mentioned once at the very beginning. They, they only they only mentioned Timothy Dalton. Yeah, they showed yeah. Dalton and Living Daylights, but they never went yeah. to Aha. Wow! Because they were they were trouble. They were trouble. Yeah. Go sit well, in the corner, yeah. Aha. You've been bad. Well, they were young, there's, there's young scallywags. Yeah, there's got to be one. My favorite moment, I don't know what your favorite moment what? was, when, mm. when oh, it's, it's. I think it was Duran Duran talking. And, and yeah, we went to see John Barry, and he was a real dick. What? <laughs> 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 no, he just wanted to to do things his way. I know. And they said it with smiles and all respect, but I just never thought I would hear those words in that sequence. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You, you mentioned loving soundtracks. I love soundtracks. Mm. And there are certain soundtracks that I'll listen to uh, to write. And uh, I, 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 a lot of them are Hans Zimmer. Oh, um, absolutely. And, the, the, and yeah. so 
to see him in that and to see mm -hmm. him apparently being a really nice guy who would be fun to hang out with. Yeah. Kind of made yeah. my day. And you're so. telling me I have to book Hans Zimmer now? Like, is that yes. what's happening? Oh, you <laughs> shit. Okay. If you, if you did work book, on it. If you did book Hans Zimmer, you'd have a tremendous conversation. I guess yes. so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That would be, yeah. that would be your elf quest really is what, yep. what we'd be yeah. doing. Yeah. So. <laughs> and speaking it's of a, which, we want to give a shout out to our composer, Frankie. Frank Schulmeier. Frank Schulmeier. He, he lives over in Germany. He has put together a complete orchestral score for nice. ElfQuest that, that feels a lot like yeah. Hans Zimmer. Yeah, it's Without big, being. It's big like Hans Zimmer. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's exactly what ElfQuest needs. So we just have to get a shout, shout out to that. Nice. That's, That's awesome. so cool. I feel like we keep making these crazy connections in the course of this episode because uh, my already observed insanely cool mother, uh, one of her favorite things to do was to shop at like library book sales for books that they were remaindering out uh, for various reasons or like uh, book bookshops that specialized in um, uh, like, uh, you know, discounted books of various kinds and stuff. And she would go and she would just, you know, she'd spend 20 bucks and come back with like 60 books for the deal mm -hmm. and, and just dump them on me. And one year for the library book sale, she got this enormous run of almost all of Ian Fleming's James Bond novels and most Ooh. of the John Gardner James Bond novels. I was 11. <laughs> she, she gave them to me and she goes, I think you'll like these because <laughs> your dad likes the movies and, you know, I'm sure he'd like to watch them with you. And uh, needless to say, if I was maybe too young for ElfQuest, I was definitely too young for, <laughs> for, because, uh, yeah, I mean, putting, uh, yeah. Putting, aside, putting aside all the bedroom stuff, which I don't know, you know, be a prude or not if you want, but uh, I was really just more of like, I don't know what, what any of these political organizations are or anything, but he is running after people and shooting them. Actually, the first book that I wrote was uh, entirely by hand in a spiral notebook, and it was a James Bond novel that I was writing under the covers <laughs> as a kid with a flashlight. And so somehow we've managed to to hit all my things. Okay, my pick. Yeah, but, 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 but but then when yeah, when yeah. you turn twelve, yeah. when you turn twelve, your mom gave you a full run of the Destroyer series, right? So compliment the mom. <laughs> no. What a mom! I would no. love to meet your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would I would love to meet her again too, but we're ten years too late for that. Oh, so that is uh well, it's such such is the way of things. We have we have commented upon the uh, the finickiness of of the mortal world already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So closing up, uh, this episode is going to air sh uh, first week of November, so we'll be just on the hind end of of spooktoberness. But the reality of it is, the whole of fall is spooktobery, and I I am uh, also like you, Patrick, an October birthday, so I'm intrinsically spoopy. And so, given that, my pick of the week is not a new graphic novel series, but it's one that is close to my heart. Because it has such a blend of really cool gothic elements, but still sort of plays with found family tropes and actual family tropes and all sorts of things. It debuted in 2002, and it's uh, Ted Nyfe's Courtney Crumnan's series, and uh, it starts with Courtney Crumnan and the Night Things. And the basic oh. notion behind it is Courtney Crumnan is... Uh, a middle school aged girl whose parents are really bad with money and have basically spent themselves into a ridiculous hole. But she is fortunate that her great uncle. So they're Aloysius, normal. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're normal parents. Kind of. Yeah. Her great uncle Aloysius, who is very wealthy, but also the family believes ailing, has offered to allow them to live in his mansion, provided that they stay only in certain rooms and whatnot. And so because of this, she ends up having to change to this upper crusty school district. And she's living in this like crazy Gothic revival mansion with a man who is terminally in an ascot with a sort of smoking jacket and looks like Christopher Lee who is her great uncle, who's sort of uh, always about and is somewhere in between creepy and nurturing at all times. <laughs> and Courtney quickly discovers that the reason that Uncle Aloysius is so odd and has all these uh, odd people coming and going is that he is part of an organization that's a little bit of little bit of the kind of um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen-esque-ness, little bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer angles here of dealing with the night things. Um, mm. And it's a world where where there really are dangers and things that go bump in the night. And Uncle Aloysius is one of the only things standing against it. And he ends up reluctantly recruiting Courtney into the cause. Um, and so if you ever felt like a kind of artistic, dark take on what it means to be middle school aged and stuck in between worlds would really do from being literally stuck in between worlds. <laughs> It's it's funny. It's charmingly illustrated in a in an also simultaneously creepy way. Uh, Ted Nife is both the author and the artist, uh, and it runs in I want to say seven volumes in total. Um, mm. So it's a great series. Sounds Ooh, like something awesome. to look into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So this has been a heck of a journey. Uh, this is like a <laughs> mega sized episode for us here. So we really appreciate you being with us. And uh, we need to make sure that folks know where to find you and all of your awesome stuff. So let's let's give them the contacts. Well, there is an ElfQuest website and it's very easy to find because it is ElfQuest.com. And you go there. And one of the things we're most proud about is that um, if you don't know about ElfQuest, but you're curious about it, you can go there, click the read online button that takes you to our library and you can read the first 30, 35 years of ElfQuest for free on your computer screen. Um, a lot of people have that's said, what, like a, like a weekend, like a weekend read or <laughs> it's, I mean, <laughs> if you don't sleep a lot, yeah, yeah bring a lunch. Yeah. People, people um, do binge. Listeners, um, listeners, this is the original binge. Yes. <laughs> um, we, uh, we have several pages on Facebook. Just, uh, use the search function. Uh, it's at ElfQuest on Twitter, at ElfQuest on Instagram. Um, we're starting, uh, TikTok, um, you'll have to search there because I can't recall it off the top of my mind. But uh, you know, we, we we have we have some wonderful people handling social media for us, so we don't have to all the time. Although we love going there, but we need you know to work and and breathe and eat and sleep too. Um, so basically, yeah, just search on the word ElfQuest, whether it's a website, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you will find us, and and we're very, you know, active. Fantastic. Well, Elf Mom and Elf Dad, thank you so much for being on with us and for putting up with my nonsense. <laughs> well, we, we loved it. Uh, it was a great conversation. We'd love to do this with you again sometime. We figure the Fantastic. best compliment we can pay an interviewer is, what? 
only an hour. We could do this for another two, three, four <laughs> hours. So well, we'll we'll save those for seasons two and three of the audio movie. Then there you, you got are. It. It's a date. There you are. Yeah. Holy crap! This year is just flying by, isn't it? Sheesh. As always, thank you for listening. Special shout out to our backers over on Patreon for putting up with all the shenanigans Tracy, totally Tracy, does over on our super secret private Facebook group. I mean, (laughs) she is just constantly posting stuff over there like, you know, articles, uh, movie and TV show trailers, even like daily music videos at this point. I mean, yeah, that's that's totally all Tracy. So, <clears throat> thanks for uh, thanks for backing us. If you want to know what the hell I'm talking about, go check out Patreon.com/functionalnerds and throw us a couple bucks. Then you will gain access to our super secret private Facebook group. Now, I will say. You and I have to be friends on Facebook in order for me to invite you. It's a Facebook thing. It's weird. So there is a process. But still, uh, it would be really cool if you backed us and then, you know, joined us over there. Anyway, Robert and Todd, they totally promised us they would do this spinning sign thing on their street corners to drum up some listeners. And... To date, they haven't actually followed through. So if you could go give us some stars on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you're going to to find us and listen, that would be awesome. We'll, We'll work on the spinning sign thing with Robert and Todd as maybe sort of a holiday push. I can see them now dressed as elves. And not the cool ones from Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Canoli Joe said he might, might consider some sort of social media campaign around the poodles for, you know, the upcoming Hugo season. Cough. Before I forget, Beyond the Trope hit 400 episodes recently. That's pretty cool. Giles and Michelle were very, very properly excited about this 400 is a huge milestone for a podcast to celebrate why not go check them out at beyondthetrope.com they put out a new episode every tuesday talking with writers artists and creatives from all over the place and that 400th episode was pretty cool so again check them out over at beyondthetrope.com now i'm sure that This is the point where I would normally have some more uh, stuff to kind of say, things to tease our backers with, but I totally forgot to write it, so... Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs>
when someone comes up to me and says, Hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh, wow. And the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.